thought. We see resilience as important in any sector, and the pandemic forced the majority of sectors to innovate. And so I wanted to look at the relationship between resilience and successful innovation, and I had an opportunity to examine um, a program called Boosting Resilience. Diana Squires with us. Diana is originally from Canada and she has spent the last um, period of her life in the UK doing a Masters of Integration, Creativity and Leadership. She is a freelance consultant who currently is working on a number of projects involving resilience and creativity. So Diana is going to just share something of her stories, maybe something of a dissertation, around the use of what she's looking at in helping organizations in this space. So Dan, welcome. Thank you. It's really a privilege to chat with you about things that I love to speak about. Perhaps you could start by just telling us a little bit of, of, of more of your background, just filling some of the, the gaps, if you may. Sure. I started my career in the arts and culture sector and worked for a number of years in uh, theater production, in arts management, arts marketing, arts fundraising, and I sort of uh, treated that as uh, an area of work that taught me a lot about human behavior and a lot about what motivates people. You have to understand that if you want to be a successful performer or writer or director. So I channeled that into a wider career. I moved into that storytelling side through marketing and fundraising for the third sector. And then I moved into charity management because I really love social impact and being able to make a difference for people. So I found that all of my experience working in the arts and marketing, fundraising, storytelling and, and production management really served me well as a, as a leader and project, uh, like sort of a program delivery kind yes. of specialism. So I'm hoping to do more of that now that I've graduated from my master's degree, which felt so good. And I'm really glad that we're here to talk about some of the things that are really critical for organizational yes. leadership and, and social change. Yeah. So if we, if we drop straight into the dissertation piece, give, give me a flavor of what that was about. Sure. I was wanting to see how the pandemic had uh, it brought to light some success strategies for arts and culture organizations in the UK. I thought we see resilience as important in any sector, and the pandemic forced the majority of sectors to innovate. And so I wanted to look at the relationship between resilience and successful innovation, and I had an opportunity to examine um, a program called Boosting Resilience that a number of UK arts organizations had participated in. It was a three-year program, it concluded just less than a year before the pandemic upended the industry. And so I thought, well, this would be interesting to see how did this training and resilience equip our yeah. organizations for a time of testing. Yeah. And so I thought this would be a great way to see what did you learn that was useful later, what was maybe not so useful, what are some new things that were strategies that helped you that maybe weren't covered in that program, and just dive into what had worked for people so that I could come up with some 
some guidelines that other arts organizations could use to successfully uh, remain resilient and then be progressively innovative with that resilience as a foundation. You know, if, if, I, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would have thought you, you engineered the, the pandemic to, to fit your dissertation. Oh, because, yeah. <laughs> because this is perfect in, in terms of you, you've been part of a, a process, you've delivered a process, and now you've got a real-life opportunity to see whether or not this thing actually works in practice or how it works in practice, which mm -hmm. is, I suppose, more to the point. Yeah, yeah, and that program was... Well, sorry, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, by the way. Well, if we all have these things that we wonder about sometimes, so if that's in your imagination, it's, it's coming from a creative part of you, I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, the Boosting Resilience Program, it was funded by Arts Council England, and yeah. I was able to share with them uh, my research after I concluded, and it was produced, this three-year um, educational program was produced by the place where I got my master's, the Center for Creativity and Professional Practice, was part of Bayes Business School, and then it was co-produced by the Culture Capital Exchange. And I've been in touch with all of these parties uh, through and after my dissertation, and it was just exciting to see how they came together and invested in the industry. And then the response a couple of years later was really positive about how well it set them up to succeed. So yeah. I'm glad to know that there was real impact in what, what they invested in. Can, can you give us a little um, flavor of what the actual nuts and bolts of the um, delivery, the material or the, the process over the years? Sure. Uh, do you mean for the program or for my dissertation? For, for the program and your dissertation, I guess, because they're both connected. Yeah, yeah. Well, Boosting Resilience had a cohort of leaders in the cultural sector, very diverse, um, different disciplines um, of that sector. And then it was, uh, there were residentials that were really a highlight of the program for many, where they would all come together, be on site, yeah. several months apart. They would have had time to reflect on what they learned. There were teachings about logic models, such as theory of change, that are really helpful for organizations. There were teachings about identifying your assets and intellectual property so you could capitalize on that and people found oh we have assets that we didn't really realize we yeah. had and I think as individuals that's true for all of us um, my outgoing social personality is a skill when I need relational time and extrovert energy uh, to boost me up during times when I, I need that so being a, being a socially confident person is an asset that I can recognize when I need to to build up people energy so for the same in the same way organization have assets that this program helps them recognize and exploit in a, in a positive way. And then I think there was also a lot of teaching about the learning mindset and reflective practice, which also um, stood these leaders in good stead, stead during a time of, of testing. So those were the sorts of things that they learned. And in my dissertation then, I interviewed these leaders and said, what have you held on to? What was most memorable? What were the things that didn't help you as much? And then just hearing their success stories of adapting and innovating, reinventing their organizations really during the pandemic and reflecting on how they felt like resilient leaders, uh, what were their successes, what were things they might have done differently, just, just unpacking all of that. And they said it was really 
helpful for them even to have that interview with me because it helped them revisit um, what has helped me get here and and just how worthwhile it was to invest in themselves with a training yeah. program like that. Yeah. So some of the things they talked about were a lot of common threads that I drew together into the conclusion of my dissertation, which was a set of guidelines for organization um, organizational resilience and innovation, particularly in the arts sector. Although when I've done presenting on it and equipping others since uh, my dissertation, I've, I've seen a lot of applicability and transferability to other sectors as well, which has yeah. been exciting to see. Was there anything in particular that, that um, is more relevant to the arts sector? I think there were some, the research, when I did the literature review, desk research, there was a lot of naming of the fact that there was some resistance to innovate yeah. in the arts sector, which yeah. can be a bit of a sensitive topic, but it's worth naming that there was sort of a suspicion of digital or a bit of a commitment more to what we want to do as opposed to who we're trying to reach and, and what does our audience want versus what are we excited about producing. Okay. So some of those disconnects ended up being hindrances during the pandemic and, and had been hindrances already, but it really was magnified at that time. And so part of my research was to unpick what has that resistance been about? And, and part of it is the limitations of funding, the expectations of those who are funding these organizations, the sort of burnout rate, the lack of time, lack of resources. So there's certainly no, um, no judgment on an organization finding radical innovation beyond their reach. And so one of the things that I came out with um, in my list of guidelines was to embrace the idea of risk and to embrace the prospect of failure that there are certainly in the corporate world where they are not as hard up for resources they say well failure is is a yeah. step on your way to success you learn so much from that we should embrace that and that can be harder when you feel like um there's this limited grant funding and what they want you to do or you think we financially can't afford a failed project um, but one of the, the interviewees talked about having a risk register and having sort of finances set aside even a modest amount for incremental yeah. in innovation or things that are a little more brave that might fail and then those reflective practices afterwards learning and reflection was woven all through my list of practices i kind of treated that as a special one that that yes. really flows in and out yeah. of everything. Um, and they said through reflection, you can take a lot of value from a failed project. And even I think going back to your funders and saying, here was what was successful and how we grew from that failure. And I think even Arts Council England, when I circled back to them, they say, we, we think that's okay. Yeah. We really, yeah. we yeah. can see that that's inevitable, that can be valuable to, to fail, and so it needs to be reframed. And, and the innovation uh, leader at Arts Council said they really appreciated how my project named that and, and made it a positive thing. So instead of saying, be okay with failure or, you know, um, mm -hmm. be at peace with mm -hmm. the idea of risk and failure. My final practice list said embrace failure and risk. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important because we have to see it as a positive thing. We have to see it as our friend and not this enemy that we learn to sort of sit at the same table as awkwardly. Um, but tolerate, we yeah. actually embrace it and see everything that failure can do for us. So 
just just to, to delve down a bit into that. Um, so there's, there's the failure aspect, but there's also the aspect in which you're saying, well, or I may say to you, Dan, I'm not the master of my own fate. Mm. Somebody is paying me or funding me yeah. to, to produce X. So the sheer pressure of producing X is pretty much, it's, it's like that weight on your shoulders and mm -hmm. you can't afford to, to fail. Or yeah. somebody else is saying, well, how can we, how can we produce something that, that may fail? And, and it's not just the funders because the, the investment is not purely financial. The investment is in the people who are, I'm leading. So there's, there's a top-down pressure and there's, there's a people around us yeah, because yeah. they want successful careers. They want to end up in a flop of whatever that flop may be. Yeah. Yeah. So in all of that pressures, there's individuals and they're building corporate resilience mm -hmm. still needs some way of building personal resilience. So just how, how do you marry that into what we've been talking about? Yeah, one of the practices was invest in people. And what came up in the desk research and my interviews was that you can't be resilient if your people are not resilient. And so as you say, that there's a team of people pulling together and if, and if, if members of that team are falling off, then you're not going to get where you can go and, and things cave. And what was really impressive about the organizations I interviewed is that none of them had a leadership change in the year and a half of pandemic upheaval. None of them had sort of staff turnover other than things that were necessary, um, sort of temporary redundancies where, where people had received furlough. Um, that was not something that hurt them. And they and they recognized that they needed to invest in people's mental health, their energy. And um, I think the other thing connected with investing in people within your organization is what I termed innovate sustainably. And that I think was the favorite, I think that was the favorite practice of the leader at Arts Council England that I spoke to a few months after yeah. having this in, uh, that they said, that's a really good way to put it because sustainability, whether it's about the pace you choose, whether it's about the resources that you have, whether it's about how much change your audience will accept and, and the pace of that, mm -hmm. I think that's a good mindset. And for me, as an individual, I have to think about sustainability. Am, am I taking on too many commitments? Am I giving more than I'm sort of resting yes. and that sustainability we always have to think about and when I get inspired and full of energy and I have lots of offers of work then I want to take it all and I want to say yes to it all and after a couple months I might find myself flagging drifting and, down yes yeah. yeah it happens to all of us I think the temptation to overcommit so when you talked about the pressure of I'm not allowed to fail, the stakes are too high. I think that's applicable with individuals as well as organizations. If you are self-employed and you don't have a financial safety net, or if you're a parent and you're saying, I can't afford to fail and see my child go off the rails or, or see our relationship suffer. So I think everyone, and and a, a good friend of mine who's, who finds um, barriers to her success in business because of the color of her skin. And she said, I see other people around me who seem to have a lot more permission to learn and grow and try things. And she says, I feel I have to work twice as hard because yeah. of unconscious bias. Um, and so I think there is a lot of pressure to, to overperform. And then how's that going to impact our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health? So uh, 
we, we need to look at that and, and we need to have compassion for each other as well. For yes, our coworkers, for, sure. for the people we supervise, the people who supervise us. Um, we need to see ourselves as a group of humans, not a group of work functions. Yes, uh, that's really true because sometimes, certainly within organizations, well, no, not, um, sorry, even families or organizations, mm. there, there's the role of mother, there's the role of father, there's the role of, of um, eldest, and there's the role of the youngest. And everyone seems to have some kind of attachment to this is what this person does, this is what this person mm. does, this is what this person represents. And, and working through all of that to come up with a result. Um, and I think it's, it's fairly easy with a family unit. So the role of the family is one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. And you pick that and you say, right, well, actually, there's an unconscious, most of the time, contracting of what this unit represents and what are we trying to achieve in, in the fullness of time. Mm -hmm. And so even though that minutiae, there's, there's something going on that I think there's a thread that runs right through because at the end of it, the individuals in an organization. Mm. Yeah, and I think something that you just said is, is um, I think your words were remembering or thinking about what you're trying to achieve. And one of the practices in, in my final list was stay connected to passion and purpose. Yes. What do you love and value? And then what are you trying to do and why? And, and some of them said, one of them, she was an independent arts practitioner who worked for a number of organizations. And she said, we always need to think, is this still the right goal? Is this relevant? Is this going to move us forward? Is this in, in tune with our current culture? And then another person, uh, I was interviewing two teammates from the same organization, and they said, we regularly talk about what are our values? Is the, the work that we're doing in line with those values? Because it is easy to drift, especially if there's chaos around you, and we can sometimes default to mechanisms that are not healthy or mechanisms that are sort of scarcity-driven or survival-driven. You don't just want to survive, you want to thrive. Yeah. And I believe you can still do that, even if it's a really difficult time. And, and I've seen that from the organizations that I've spoken with. And I, I think that that's important to realize, you know, as you say, there's, there's a survival bit, because yes, you, you need a baseline of survival, because no survival, no thriving. Yes. Yeah. Foundation, so, like, the, like Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs. Or <laughs> but at the same time, that there's always the um, the hidden way in which we settle into something that's comfortable. Mm. Um, the comfort brings the, the phrase traditional, it brings the, well, this is the way we've always done this. Mm -hmm. And because we're comfortable. Yeah. That, that's a fairly, I think that's a fairly human standard right mm -hmm. across the board. Yeah. Until something comes along and rocks the boat. Yeah. And we, we've had something that's rocked the boat in the last couple of years. Um, just, just to swing it onto a, a personal resilience piece now, Diana, how, how have you um, engaged with the last two years of, of rocking? Yeah. What, what's been your 
personal resilience practices? Right, that's a really good question. I've had to think a lot about that because as you say, it's a scenario that has rocked us all, shaken us to our core. And something I just thought of when you were just speaking about, uh, you can get comfortable in the status quo, which is the um, anathema to innovation, yeah. uh, certainly for an organization. But I think for an individual, I was gathering with some people last night for prayer, which is one of my regular resilience practices. And one of the individuals in our group was saying that she's struggled with depression for many years. And she said, I have gotten comfortable with this. I've seen it as something that's not going to change. And my it's given way to the sense of hopelessness or even just apathy about it. And so she said, but I don't want to be comfortable with it. I don't want to see that as a normal that can never change. And that's an area where we were praying for her. So for me, uh, almost two years now, things like lockdowns for an extrovert and for a creative person who wants to have stimulating experiences. And I come alive when I'm at the theater or at a concert not being able to do those things, not being able to mix with people, not being able to hug people, that was just one of the most difficult experiences that I've, I've ever had. And so I really had to look inward and say, what is, uh, what is meaningful and what is going to nourish me if certain forms of nourishment are cut off? And my faith and my spiritual practices, even though they were changed, I wasn't able to gather in person yeah. um, with my spiritual community. We had to do things online. And I actually saw that there could be really powerful, meaningful spiritual connection online. And I did not think that was the case. And I was in, at the start of COVID, I was in Vancouver and my spiritual community there started gathering online and it was just lifeless. And I think um, there was a lot of fatigue. There was a lot of figuring out how we're going to do this. And a few months later, I moved to the UK and joined a new church here. And their approach to online gathering, there was something just different about it or different about their level of serenity or perhaps creativity. And I found that even though it wasn't the way I like to do anything at home in front of a screen, it was still very powerful and very nourishing to me. And people reached out to me. They sent me care packages. They introduced me. They said, hey, there's someone that I think you'd get along with and you could go for walks during lockdown. And so I would go for a walk with a new friend. We were both extroverts. We were dying to talk. And so we got together for three hours, nonstop talking, and we would see interesting parts of London. We'd walk past palaces. We did a street art graffiti walking tour of Shoreditch. We went to the River Lee. Is it Lee or Lay? The river. I think it's Lee. Okay. Walking, yeah. 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 yeah, taking pictures of canal boats and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, this is creative stimulation. It's all I can get, so I'll take it. And then I'll reframe this. I'll say, this is not a time of suffering. This is a time of learning. This yeah. is a time of being stretched and learning adaptability, learning tenacity, learning resilience. So I said, if this is going to happen, I'm going to get my master's and I'm going to find things to be thankful for and I'm going to be changed as a person. I think I was. Yeah. So there is. Um a lot that you said there that I think people can relate to. What, firstly, to, to come back to the, the spiritual aspects of it. So it's like, I guess, when I hear you, you say that, it's that you're digging deeper into that well. Mm. That well that you, you, you value originally in some form or fashion, some way of being, some way of doing, and it's finding a different process but digging in the same well hmm. and coming up with something that that's fresh and original, hmm. 
but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like this is deeper now. Yeah. There's a deepening of something, and I think that's important for us as, as we move forward, that there's a spiritual aspect. Mm -hmm. of resilience, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually not talked about a lot, no. um, for whatever reason, but there is there is that connection with, with something of spirit. Mm -hmm. And then it's really interesting for someone who is, so I, I tend to be more 50-50 in terms of introvert, extrovert, and where I get my energy from, so I can, I can manage that in a different way. You're an ambivert, I'm an ambivert. people call it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ambidextrous, but, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh, and to, to see, you know, even for someone who is who is at this, perhaps, I guess, in my, my view of who you are, mm -hmm. on one end of the spectrum of, of extroversion and needing the energy that you can take a non-traditional, non-natural view medium hmm. and, and work in that and work in that and out of that struggle of finding within hmm. you come up with new friends yeah and then in, in the process of finding new friends you're going oh look that's a canal boat and it, it maybe if i don't know whether you took pictures or you took drawings and mm -hmm. you can lie on the ground and look up at it you can whatever you do in it and mm -hmm. find different angles and different perspectives on it. Yeah, and you can do that with your physical surroundings and you can do that with your circumstances as well. Yeah. Shifting your perspective can really change a negative to a positive. Yeah. And you can see an opportunity that you didn't otherwise see if you reframe how you're looking at something, which I had to do a lot. I was tempted yeah. to feel sorry for myself. I was tempted to feel angry at how things were handled or by people in my community behaving in a way that I felt was making the situation worse. You can sit in judgment and resentment or you can sit in faith and gratitude and it's always a spiritual discipline for me to to take off the the mindsets that are not helpful and to really lean into and cling to truths that are helpful that's that's a daily practice yeah. if i neglect it i go right down to the negative unfortunately so is that part of um the way you um brought up in childhood in terms mm -hmm. of um not, not just a spiritual practice. Uh, let me rephrase that because I have to be careful. If it is a spiritual practice, or at least I, for me it is, the, the, the concept of gratitude. Mm -hmm. the, the idea that, that here's the five things I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I have a chair that can take my weight. I'm grateful that the room is warm. I'm grateful to have a friend I can chat to. Yeah. Whatever, whatever it is, and sometimes you have to, to dig harder, you have to search further to find these things. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what, what you're saying to me, what I'm hearing is the resilience piece mm -hmm. is, is encompasses that. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the gratitude piece is also connected to the spiritual piece. Absolutely. Yeah, in my spiritual tradition, um, the Bible has a verse that says, give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah. And then one of the examples of that in the Bible is a man who was being persecuted and jailed for his faith, which still happens a lot today. Um, a lot of countries, Christians are um, tortured and imprisoned for their faith. And this man and the others that he was imprisoned with, they were singing in prison yeah. <laughs> and the guards were saying 
what? Um, and so they had found a way to be thankful even in adverse circumstances. And I think, well, I've never had something quite that awful, so you should be able to find things to be thankful for. And my mother, when I would be in sort of a despairing mentality, my mom, whose faith really inspires me, she would quote another Bible verse, which says, take every thought captive. Just such a fascinating way to think about our thoughts because they really can run wild. Yeah. It's a common expression, letting your thoughts run wild. And if you take a thought captive and, and sort of look at it and say, is this actually helping me? Um, is this actually reflecting my values or how I want to live or how I want to feel? Um, and I always thought, oh, life is happening to me, but my thoughts are still my choice. Yes. And I can take those thoughts captive. And if, if it's not helpful to, to reframe it or, or dismiss it. So I, I have started just reminding people that I love about that as well, because our thoughts can, can really run away with us if we let them. Yes. No. Um, one of my uh, mentors, at, at least I call him a mentor, though I've never met him, he's never, definitely not, you know, not connected, is Jim Rohn. Mm -hmm. Jim Rohn years ago um, taught me this practice and he said, you know, if somebody says something nasty to you, for example, you, say, you, you take it and you hold it and you go, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Tell me more. Where did you get that from? Why, why did you think that? Exactly. So yeah. you use a, a curiosity piece to, to hold whatever the, the initial thought would come. And then, yeah, hmm. I don't have to take the thought that he says Johnson is, is whatever Johnson is. Yeah. And, and if, I, if I follow that in, in the way you describe taking it captive or at least holding it at a distance so mm -hmm. that I can see it yeah. and say, okay, I, I don't agree with it. Maybe you can tell me more. How did you come to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. And it so it diffuses some of the immediate um, fight or flight response that, mm -hmm. that we all are subject to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because alternatively, uh, your thoughts might be holding you captive. Whether it's someone you can't forgive or criticism that you can't shake, it, it really is yeah. it's choosing, do I want to be mastered by this? Or do I want to, as you said, separate it from myself and look mm -hmm. at it and not see it as something that has to, has to be carried around with yeah. me? Yeah, yeah. I am wondering, um, in terms of where we've been talking, so we've moved from an organizational perspective to a, a personal perspective of resilience. How, how do you translate it back into the old now, mm -hmm. the, the last few minutes of, of what we've been talking about? Yeah, I think definitely when we talked about being true to or remembering staying connected to your passion and purpose. That is extremely important in my life. And I can see a big difference in my thriving when I am doing things that are connected to my deepest values. And I think right now, because I'm in a situation of having recently finished a master's degree, doing freelance contracts, considering the prospect of doing one full-time job um, or maybe combining that. I'm, I'm looking for additional work. And as I do that, I'm thinking, I don't want to just work anywhere. I want to work at an organization where there's compatibility and values. And I think if we do that, if we think we're passionate about our work, then the way that we feel at work and after work is different. The energy that sustains us is different. The relationships we have with our colleagues 
will be different. And so if I take that into my work, and if I only do work that really reflects who I am, reflects how I want to live, and, and I have a sense of mission in it, organizations that are on mission will do better. And I think employees that are on mission are also going to do their best work. I'm giving a presentation next week about helping employees to thrive and enhance their performance. And you can be, um, you can overemphasize high performance and really burn people out, or you can inspire people to performance and bring people with a sense of unity and collective buy-in so that it's not performance from a capitalist view or this sort of hamster wheel exhausting sort of pursuit, relentless pursuit of performance, but it can be, let's all, let's all be our best. Let's be running after something we're excited about. Let's be using every moment at work to do things that are lasting, to do things that are impactful, to do things that inspire those around us. That's the way I work. And yeah. that's um, the, the sorts of people I want to work with, the sort of organizations I work for is that, is that connection and passion and vision and, and a mission that is, is in tune with this community. That's how we're going to have impact. That's what I want to do. I don't just want to show up and get paid and, and then just count the hours and go home. I want to feel like what I'm doing matters and it's going to matter a year from now and 10 years from now. So that's, yeah, yeah. And hopefully impact people beyond me. There might be yeah. impacts that I'm not going to see. Yeah. Sometimes I've, I've heard from someone 20 years later um, or 10 years later of this thing that you did or this conversation that we had has had a ripple effect in my success. I think, wow, thank goodness I, I got to learn that and hear it. And there are things we're probably not hearing all the time about how our work has impacted people in ways we didn't expect. So yeah. let's let's work in that way. Let's strive to, to do that. I, I think it's, it's key what you said for me as you're speaking now is that sometimes, you know, you say we're, we're you're talking about values, you're talking about passion, mm. and sometimes those, a bit like a, um, a gas stove, it just turns down slightly, so mm. it's not Very full true. flame, it's, it's kind of like simmering. Yeah, yeah. And most of the simmering is based on things that we can't control. Yeah, yeah. So the stuff that, you know, like say, the last two years, or the fact that, you know, there, there are a few more challenges along the way, Mm -hmm. we, might, we might have health issues mm -hmm. along the way. Mm -hmm. And all of those things seem to compete with, with the flame that wants to flicker, mm -hmm. to get beyond the flicker. Yeah, yeah. And so you're saying that there's a way of getting this flame to ignite again. And, and as you do, they're conjoint. Yeah. Then, then you get something that burns because two plus two is not four. It's, mm -hmm. it's not an additive, it's multiplication. Yeah. And the last piece I get from that is that it's not multiplication to build the org, mm -hmm. it's multiplication that goes outwards. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that, to me, is, is key from mm -hmm. what I think I hear you saying. Yes, yeah. And, and not to mix metaphors, but to add and build on that metaphor of the gas stove, there's a, an award-winning musician that I'm proud to call a close friend, and she is a Christian, and she sometimes has that sense of a spiritual inspiration of a particular word mm -hmm. or a particular direction that then she gives shape to her decision. So she was wanting to put her music career on hold for a year based on different personal circumstances. And, and she said, the word that I'm getting as I pray about what this coming year will be about, she said, the word is fallow. 
And she said the idea of letting soil rest for mm -hmm. a certain time because you don't want to over cultivate and sort of drain the nutrients yeah. from soil. If yeah. you want to have that continue to produce in the long term, you need those periods of letting it lie fallow. And she said, that's what I'm doing with my music this year. Yeah. And it wasn't a lack of commitment or a lack of vision. It was a vision. It was a different sort of vision of allowing it to rest. And, and she felt really um, strongly uh, convinced that this was a meaningful spiritual inspiration that would carry her in the next year. And I watched her thrive as a result of that decision. I was so proud of her courage yeah. and I was inspired by it. I never thought about that word in the terms of how I approach my own life. And I think when I took a year out from my career to do a master's degree, um, or at least a year out from full-time employment to do a different type of thing in my career, I thought, well, I'm not uh, earning necessarily, I'm not producing, producing in a in a wider sense. But this is a fallow time that will actually see my soil be hopefully more fruitful afterwards. So now that I'm I'm out of the the university bubble and into the fully employable kind of world, I'll see what's going to what harvest I can expect. I, I know um, when you when you say the word fallow, um, one of the the books I was reading recently was a, by an author called Catherine May who talks about it in terms of wintering. Yes, I love that. Wintering is a verb. Wintering is a verb. <laughs> it is not a, a place of enduring mm -hmm. the cold that most people don't like. I actually like winter, but that's one of my quirks. But for most people, it, it'd be like winter is something I have to endure. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if you change your perspective, winter is, winter is that fallow period. And if you think of frost, mm -hmm. the, the frost that breaks the soil up allows aeration of soil. Mm -hmm. It allows nutrition to get further in. It allows, uh, when the spring comes, the, the, um, the worms that, that do the, the work can get deeper in. So wintering is, is, to me, a really important concept in terms of resilience. Hmm. Those are things I did not know. don't have enough scientific <laughs> knowledge in my, my arsenal. So thank you. That's, yeah. I like that image. The, the other piece I, I come, come at it from is, is in terms of the, um, the fitness aspect. So um, I, I do a regular, um, I call it a 5K shuffle because there's no personal best you will see anywhere in this. <laughs> okay. It is my personal best, but it, it is what it is. But I, I, in looking at it from a research perspective, and the, the guys who, in the performance piece, keep saying, hey, you can push, you can push, you can push. And so there's progressive overload, is what they're aiming for to get to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But it's not the progressive overload that matters, it's the rest piece. Hmm. But because if you don't rest enough, there's no recovery of of your muscles to take the overload as it comes. Hmm. So a lot of a lot of the times, the, the guys who who haven't got that yet either burn out or break something beyond what is recoverable. Mm -hmm. So the, the the fine tuning of it is is finding the rest piece. Um, looking at things like your heart rate variability is one way of doing it. It says, okay, you've got this rest, now you're ready for the next bit. 
but understanding that rest is key. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you would know rest doesn't mean stop. I, I can't imagine you stopping. I don't like to stop. No. <laughs> but sometimes but, resting means doing different things. Exactly. Thinking and yeah. Thinking, doing different things, and, and exploring different avenues. And when you do, then you come back out of your, your wintering, out of your following periods, with new ways of doing and new pieces that you can enjoy together mm. as you move forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to see it. So it's really fascinating to, to hear something of your work. Is there something else you'd like to, to share about your, your pieces on resilience? I think the, the 12 practices that were the culmination of this work are things that I'm hoping to teach more about. Yeah. So uh, developing and offering workshops on that. And I would love to speak more with anyone who'd like to explore that uh, for their organization, either to bring together a few employees or just do some one-on-one -on -one exploration of that. So I think this, this final research capstone project of my master's was a labor of love. I enjoyed every moment of it. I joke that the only part I didn't enjoy was doing the table of contents. Um, but it's a subject I'm so passionate about and I've really seen a lot of positive response and impact thus far from my research and, and presenting it and sharing it. So I would love to do more of that and anyone who wants to dig into that topic should definitely get in touch. And, and where would people find you? Then? Yeah, so social media wise, socially they can connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Diana Squires, Diana has one N, Squires is like the Knights and their Squires. Um, so LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, email, of course, dsquires at live.ca. I think you're going to share those links. Yeah, we will do, yes. Definitely. Perfect. Yeah, so any of those uh, ways of connecting, I would welcome and just have a conversation, have a coffee, have a Zoom, and see what the opportunities are. Excellent. Diana, it's been a pleasure. Oh, you as well. Really important uh, topics to speak about. So thank you for the invitation. Thank you.